0: Don't emulate reality, and don't make a cartoon. If it's not broke, break it. Spider- man Into the Spider-Verse was a leap. A leap forward in animation technology. A leap forward in unconventional cinematography and editing. A leap forward in diversity. A leap forward in studio-granted creative freedom. And most importantly, a leap of faith. The story of Spider-Verse is the story of a team, pushing themselves to break the mold in every way possible. An unconventional team, desiring to create an unconventional film. This is the story of that team, and how Sony Pictures broke the mold of studio restrictions and came back from a divisive critical release to one of the highest praised animated films of the decade, that would become one of only a few to surpass Disney Animation at the Oscars. This is the saga behind the story of Spider- man Into the Spider-Verse. It's a new thing that hasn't been done. I mean, from the very beginning, we were like, can we make a movie that feels like you're walking inside of a comic book? Spider-Verse is a film deeply rooted in the form and history of comic books, not just in the aesthetic design, but in the way the story is told. But even with this film's reach into history, many of its choices are based in modern creation, including the main character in the film, Miles Morales. The first appearance of Spider-Man was in August of 1962, but Miles Morales did not appear until 2011. The first concepts for Miles Morales appearing in a Marvel comic dates back to 2008, right before Barack Obama would be elected President of the United States of America. The first African-American president the country had ever had. At the time, this marked a major moment in the culture and history of America that was being felt around the country, including at the offices of Marvel Comics. The teams behind the creation of Marvel's popular comic book characters saw the election of Barack Obama as an indication of a changing society, and Marvel Comics wanted to evolve along with American society. As then-Editor-in-Chief Axel Alonso stated, When we were planning Ultimatum, a comic storyline that involves the character Magneto attempting to destroy the world, we realized that we were standing at the brink of America electing its first African-American president, and we acknowledged that maybe it was a good time to take a look at one of our icons. With Barack Obama being elected, Marvel Comics decided they wanted to introduce more ethnically and racially diverse characters into their stories. Planning the Ultimate Universe storyline granted the team the perfect opportunity to let someone new take up the mantle of Spider-Man. While writing the Ultimate Marvel storyline, the team came up with the idea to have Peter Parker be killed in the 2011 storyline, Death of Spider-Man, giving the team the creative opportunity necessary to develop a new African-American version of Spider-Man that would be known as Miles Morales. The main creation of the Miles Morales character was done by writer Brian Michael Bendis and artist Sarah Paschelli. Bendis and Pichelli took much inspiration for the design and character of Miles from the scene in the show community where Donald Glover is shown wearing Spider-Man pajamas. After seeing Glover in this outfit, Bendis said, He looked fantastic. I saw him in the costume and thought, I would like to read that book. So I was glad that I was writing that book. With this inspiration in mind, the design for Miles was drafted, and he appeared in Fallout 4 in August of 2011. After Spider-Man dies in this storyline, Miles Morales becomes the next Spider-Man. While Marvel Comics was glad to welcome this new iteration of Spider-Man, it would be many more years before Miles Morales would gain his chance to be the new Spider-Man on film. At the time of the introduction of Miles in the comics, Sony Pictures, the company that owns the film rights to Spider-Man, was well into the process of creating their next incarnation of Spider-Man, The Amazing Spider-Man, starring Andrew Garfield, that was set to release in the summer of 2012. Originally, Sony had planned to produce a trilogy of Spider-Man films with this new character. But while the films were financially successful, both films in the Amazing Spider-Man series, especially the second one, were very divisive among both critics and the fans. After the release of The Amazing Spider-Man 2 in May of 2014, overall morale and excitement for the Spider-Man franchise was starting to dwindle. At this point, there had been five live-action Spider-Man feature films created by Sony, and of these five, three were received with mixed reactions. By 2014, the Marvel Cinematic Universe by Disney had gained major traction, and the general public was losing interest in the Spider-Man films being created by Sony. Sony needed to reinvigorate interest in the franchise. And so, the company set out to draft a new plan that would ensure the resurgence of Spider-Man in popular culture. However, during the creation of this new plan, Sony had much larger issues to worry about. Sony Pictures Entertainment is reeling from what may be the biggest and most devastating computer hacking in Hollywood's history. Last week, employees logging into their computers were greeted with the following image on their screens, hacked by hashtag GOP over a picture of a sinister-looking red skeleton. It was not the Republican Party that carried out the attack. We should note, GOP reportedly stands for Guardians of Peace, a previously unknown group now claiming credit for the hack. On November 24, 2014, a hacker group that called themselves the Guardians of Peace had infiltrated the Sony servers and began to leak all of the valuable information they had been able to steal. This information included confidential employee data, such as information about the employee's families, emails, and salary. Additionally, copies of unreleased films, scripts, and future project outlines had been ripped from the servers. Why did the hacker group take the time to infiltrate the Sony servers and release all of this information? The Guardians of Peace made many claims and threats, all of which surrounded a new film Sony had planned on releasing, The Interview, directed by Seth Rogen. The synopsis of the film surrounded two journalists who had managed to set up an interview with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. With this interview, they hope to legitimize their journalistic careers, but the American government steps in and recruits the two interviewers to instead murder Kim Jong-un. The film therefore follows these two journalists being tasked to murder Kim Jong-un. Guardians of Peace demanded this film not be released and threatened even worse repercussions if Sony did go forward releasing the film. In addition to leaking more Sony data, the group threatened that terrorist attacks would occur at any theaters showing the film. With these threats of violence, many theaters refused to screen the film, and so Sony instead released the film digitally, with a very small theatrical release shortly after. While the North Korean government denied any claims of involvement in this hack, the United States government claimed to have found information supporting the idea that the hacker group was sponsored by the North Korean government in an effort to prevent the film that was seen as defaming and threatening towards the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Why is this hack important to the story of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Some of the information that was leaked included emails between Sony Pictures Entertainment co-chairman Amy Pascal and President Doug Bellegarde. These emails included the early workings of a plan to rejuvenate the Spider-Man franchise by creating an animated film by Phil Lord and Chris Miller two people who had a strong history with Sony Pictures Animation with their creation of the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs franchise that proved to be very profitable and was received well by audiences and critics. Outside of Sony, Lord and Miller had also created the highly successful Lego Movie in 2014, so the business team at Sony believed hiring Lord and Miller would be a sound investment and that these two would be able to create an animated film that would surprise audiences and be highly profitable in the same way the Lego Movie was. Shortly after this leak, in January of 2015, the executives at Sony met to further develop their plans to bring Spider-Man back into the spotlight of popular culture by partnering with Disney to reboot the live-action Spider-Man saga, and by creating their own animated Spider-Man film that would be headed by Lord Miller. With these plans laid out, Sony attended CinemaCon in April of 2015, where Sony Pictures chairman Tom Rothman formally announced to the public that a feature-length animated film was in production and would be released on July 20th of 2018. Along with this announcement, Sony announced that the team heading up the project would include Lord & Miller, Avi Arad, Matt Tomac, and Amy Biscall, with Lord & Miller writing the first treatment for the story. However. While Chris Miller was announced as helping to write the treatment for the story, the script is credited to Phil Lord and Rodney Rotham, not Chris Miller, making this the first major script Lord wrote without Miller. By December of 2015, work on the script had progressed further, but Sony decided to move the release of the film back to December 21st, 2018. This delay gave the team more time to create the script, which was especially important considering the great aspirations the writers had for the script. Chris Miller stated that their goal in creating the film was to create a film that would stand on its own and break the Spider-Man formula. This thinking is the reason that Lord and Miller chose to have Miles Morales as the main character since they believed he was unique compared to the other iterations of Spider-Man because of his upbringing in Brooklyn and his family heritage consisting of half Puerto Rican and half African American. Lord and Miller also believed Miles' story would stand out because of the fact that his family was still alive, and that having the parents of Spider-Man still be around would introduce new opportunities for character development and plot moments. Since Miles' heritage and family made him so unique, the writers wanted to place a focus on Miles' family dynamics, and make the family central to the story. Part of the reason why the film was delayed is likely due to the many changes the script experienced over time, with some characters and plot elements changing completely. For instance, Spider-Gwen and Miles were originally set to have a completely romantic relationship, but the team decided this didn't seem to fit right with the tone and direction of the film. Without needing Spider-Gwen for the love subplot, the team considered cutting her role entirely. Producer Christina Steinberg, however, was very unhappy with the idea of Spider-Gwen's character being cut out, and she worked to advocate for the inclusion of Spider-Gwen, going as far as to help the team rework her character into her own standalone character that could contribute to the story in her own way. As Phil Lord stated, Christina kept us honest. As five boys making a movie, it was really good to have another filmmaker there going, I don't think you guys want to do it like this. Another character who was completely changed in the writing of the script is Doc Ock. Originally, Doc Ock was supposed to be a man and not just any man. The original concept for Doc Ock was that he would be what the team called a super hippie Californian dude. The more his character was fleshed out and written, however, the more disappointed and frustrated the team was with this character, as they really could not find anywhere interesting to go with the character besides the humor that would come with his character. As a result, the team decided to completely rework the role of Doc Ock into a new female character, giving the writers a chance to start over with the character and make something new. This new version of Doc Ock gave the team much inspiration, to the point that they had to cut out certain ideas to keep the length of the film shorter. Another character who experienced multiple changes throughout their course of writing was Penny Parker. Originally, the character Silk from the comics was going to fill the role of an Asian American Spider-Person. The team decided to use Penny Parker instead later on in writing because of how unique the character would appear next to the other iterations of Spider-People that had already been chosen for the film. One character who did not experience many changes through the different versions of the script was the character Peter B. Parker, who was designed to be a combination of all pop culture versions of Spider-Man. At one point, Peter B. Parker had been written for Tobey Maguire, but the writers soon realized that this would confuse audiences in a film already stretching the limits of the Spider-Man universe, so the character was rewritten without Maguire in mind. Lord and Miller wanted to base his character off of the character Miyagi from Karate Kid, but they wanted to see what it would be like if a character like Miyagi did not know anything. By placing Peter Parker in this role, the character would be placed into a role audiences had never seen him in before, once again pushing the team's vision of creating a Spider-Man film audiences had not seen before. The script was considered complete by June of 2016. And Sony Pictures Animation decided Bob Perschetti would direct the film. By 2017, Peter Ramsey came onto the project as a co-director, and Alex Hirsch joined the crew as a story contributor. When speaking about this team, Phil Lord said that Ramsey was the action guy, Rothman was the comedy guy, and Perschetti was the poet. In April of 2017, the release date for the film was changed one final time to December 14th, 2018, giving the crew for Spider-Verse a final deadline to complete the rest of the project. While the rough script for the film was prepared, the crew still had a long journey ahead of them as they worked to create the art style for the film. Sony granted the film a budget of $90 million, and the team was tasked with designing the visual style for the film. Designing how the Spider-Verse film would look started with a simple idea from Lord and Miller. They wanted the film to look like the inside of a comic book, to tell a visual story in a way live-action films cannot. With this general concept established, the producers and designers worked with a single animator at first to establish what the look of the film should be. Eventually, a second animator was hired, and by the time the team was ready to move production forward in 2016 and 2017, the two animators had already spent two years developing 10 seconds of footage that matched the vision the directors and designers had. While this design was not final, it provided the groundwork the other animators and artists would develop upon until the final style for the film was achieved. As the design process wore on, more animators were hired to expand the possibilities for creating and designing this new world. More and more animators were hired throughout the entire production, until by the end, there was a team of 177 animators all working simultaneously. The largest crew Sony Pictures Imageworks had ever worked on a film at one time. To test out their ideas for the look and design of the film, the team used the Subway Station set piece, as this provided an ample sandbox to test their ideas. This Subway Station set piece was used to develop many of the advanced animation techniques that went into creating the look for the final film. When talking about the design for the film, artist Patrick O'Keefe said the goals involved being very selective about shapes and value structures and hues, in order to get a really clean read on things, but it's also a very curated look. In the sense that we're paying attention to the details of city life and reality that To me, a lot of animated films kind of gloss over, like graffiti or gum on the mailboxes, as well as the complexity of textures. The textures mentioned by O'Keefe were designed by the team to portray what a person like Miles would appreciate, such as the street art and graffiti. With this concept, the team used graffiti and street art as a basis for the designs of the textures and colors of the film, to better match the character of Miles and the way he would see the world around him. With the artist mocking up general designs, the animators at Sony Pictures Animation were tasked with finding a way to utilize the technology available to achieve this ambitious design. Phil Lord claimed that this design would be revolutionary, since it would combine the computer-generated style of Sony Pictures Animation with the flavor of comics. But that design could not be possible if the team could not invent a way to translate this unique visual style onto the screen. Developing these techniques started with a request Phil Lord had to the team. He 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 wanted each frame of the film to look like it came out of a comic book, to the point that a viewer could pause the movie at any moment and see a clear image that resembles something someone could see in a comic book. This presented a multitude of challenges to the animation team, since this meant they would need to disregard some of the basic elements of cinematography. Animated films Including the animated films Sony Pictures Animation had created up until this point, typically attempt to emulate reality as close as possible, to the point that the computer-generated cameras used in CGI animation are based off of real cameras and lenses. As such, animated films typically follow basic rules of cinematography and work to achieve the same kinds of effects one would see in a normal live-action film, such as moving objects having a motion blur to them and the camera having a depth of field, with the focus of the frame being crisp and in focus, while the unimportant parts of the frame would be out of focus and blurry. However, if Lord wanted every frame of the film to look crisp and clean like an image from a comic book, the team could not use motion blur or depth of field, since these would blur the image in ways not seen in early comic books. The team still needed to portray motion and focus visibly though, so they came up with new techniques to show these ideas visually, while not blurring the image depth of field was replaced with a technique called defocus, where the section of the frame that would typically be out of focus would have imperfect color offsets rather than a blur, thereby portraying the idea of focus to the audiences while not blurring the image. Visual effects artist Danny Dimian explained how the team decided to use this technique. We noticed that sometimes in printing comic books, the color offsets were not aligned properly, and this looked like the image was out of focus. By using these color offsets, the team was able to make each frame look both clear and more like a frame out of a comic book, by using color techniques seen in comic books. Replacing motion blur also required a new creative technique, since the team did not want to blur anything in the frame. They instead used a number of different techniques to convey the motion of characters and objects. The most prominent way of displaying motion was the echoing effects of moving objects. Whenever an object or a character would move quickly in the film, small pieces of geometry would be placed in the position where a traditional smear or blur would be. These pieces of geometry would appear in such a way like they were trailing after the character's motion. Once the frames are all sped up, the audiences may not see the pieces of geometry, but they feel more satisfied with the motion since the geometry would fill in the gaps usually filled by blur, leaving the frame clear while not disturbing the audience's ideas of motion. Another way the animators worked to portray motion was with the use of motion lines that would be placed behind the character, conveying the motion of a character or object, much in the same way that the motion would be conveyed in the frame of a comic book, once again helping to make each frame of the film look like a frame from a comic book. Emulating the look and style of comic books was so important to the team that they worked to use modern technology to emulate the imperfections of traditional comic book art and printing. One technique lifted from classic drawings was the use of halftones. Halftones are an artistic technique that works to simulate the idea of something continuing by using dots that varied in size. The artists also used Ben Day dots. The dots readers were accustomed to seeing in classic comic books. These dots were the result of a printing technique created by Benjamin Day in 1879. The technique was adapted in the 1950s and 60s by the comic book industry as a cheap way to portray shading and secondary colors, where dots of two or more colors would be placed close together to create the look of a secondary color, without having to spend the extra money to print the secondary color directly. The combination of halftones and Benday dots helped the crew to create colors, tones, and gradients that appeared similar to those used by comic books from the 1950s and 60s. These artistic techniques were also used to achieve criss-crossed lines, or hatching. Hatching is a technique in which the artist draws parallel lines close to each other or perpendicular lines close to each other to create tonal differences and shading. Another way in which the animators worked to show differences in space and the frames of the film was with the use of Kirby Crackle. Kirby Crackle is a field of black, pseudo-fractal images. These images would be used by comic book artists to portray the look of negative space, energy blasts, and smoke. With the visual effects of the Collider including many energy blasts and plumes of smoke, the Kirby Crackle the animators used helped this energy beam to look like the kinds of energy beams readers would expect to see from comics. The animators and designers also wanted to sell the idea that each frame from the film was a frame from a comic book. having text appear around the characters, to emphasize actions, thoughts, or sounds. While this did not require any new technologies to implement this idea in the film, it did work to show the dedication the filmmakers had for achieving the comic book aesthetic as closely as possible by breaking film conventions. A major film convention broken by Into the Spider-Verse was the frame rate for the film. Traditional film, even animated films, are released in 24 frames per second. Spider-Verse breaks this trend by having certain scenes animated in 12 frames per second, where certain frames would last for 2 frames rather than 1. Some shots even have characters moving at different frame rates in the same shot, such as Miles moving at a slower frame rate compared to the other Spider-People to visually show the audience how he lags behind their abilities earlier in the film. Breaking film and animation conventions was essential to the creation of Spider-Verse, and this continued with how the animators animated the characters and objects on the screen. Traditional animation, while still very complicated, has a few key principles animators had followed for decades to achieve a pleasing look in the movement of characters. One such principle is the idea of squash and stretch. This animation principle is the practice of the most basic form of moving animated objects, by either squashing or stretching them. By using squash and stretch, the object begins to have a contrasting shape that portrays the ideas of flexibility and therefore the idea that the object could truly be alive and move on its own. When squash and stretch isn't used in animation, the object appears to be rigid to the point that it does not appear to have a life of its own. While Spider-Verse did use some squash and stretch in the film, especially for the character Spider-Ham, whose entire animation motion is designed after the classic Warner Brothers animations that highly utilize squash and stretch, some of the motions in Spider-Verse use different animation techniques to achieve the same effect without using squash and stretch specifically. Director Bob Perschetti claimed that, The idea behind that was, if we want something to have the equivalent of squash and stretch, let's telescope it. So the leg all of a sudden goes three times longer for one or two frames. We started to come up with all of these little substitute versions of the rules of animation, so that in texture it felt different, but it still achieved the same goal, to either feel weight or anticipation or impact. Creating unique animation techniques like those described by the director allow for Spider-Verse to have its own unique visual style that helps it to stand out among the many other animated films released in theaters. A new technique that required the animators to develop a new technology was the use of multiple frames on the screen at the same time. This way of arranging shots clearly draws inspiration from the layout of frames in a comic book, but translating this look onto a screen involved the development of new technology. The crew created a new camera array for their animation software that allowed them to project seven different angles on the screen at the same time, while also allowing each of these different angles to have their own unique styles in the final render. Multiple cameras were essential to creating this look for the film, and the use of multiple cameras was also important for the use of the glitching effect that would appear throughout the film. Glitch effects were achieved by using the multiple cameras that mirrored the multiple universes. Each camera would be set on the same character doing the same animation, but would be treated differently to emulate the idea of multiple varying realities and to create a fragmented and artistic look. All of these effects and technologies were developed to help the film move further away from reality and from tradition, so that it would stand out. This idea of distorting reality for the sake of artistic vision continued with the modeling for the film, as some of the models in the film were designed to look different from the way one would expect them to appear in real life, to play into whatever the mood and focus of the scene is. For instance, the scene where Miles takes his leap of faith includes many buildings that would not be seen in the real-world New York City. These buildings are curved rather than standing up straight, and through this, the buildings push the viewer's attention towards Miles rather than the city itself. These modeling choices also play into the emotional context of the scene, as the only focus of the scene is the internal conflict in Miles as he seeks to finally take his leap of faith. With all of these animation techniques and technologies planned and prepared, the team worked hard to create the film. Once scenes were animated, the colors would be further manipulated by multiple teams to achieve the color style desired. After a scene was rendered in CGI, it would be sent to 2D animation artists, who would color and animate over the CGI animation to create the desired visual style. When the animation for a shot was complete, it would be sent to the color department to color grade the film the team once again chose to break the mold with the way they color graded the film by straying away from traditional film hues and colors and more towards the color styles of music videos the team would shift the colors using settings and hues that were traditionally only used in music videos and through this the team gave spider-verse a distinct look in the way that the colors appeared on screen Finally, in October of 2018, after years of work creating the design for the films and inventing new techniques and technologies to achieve the desired style, the animation for Spider-Verse was complete. The final rendered version of the film varies greatly from some of the earlier cuts of the film. Spider-Verse was unconventional in the way that the film was made, since it was edited, with many scenes and concepts removed, something not traditionally done in animation, since the script is usually strictly edited in writing, to ensure that no time is wasted creating art that will not be needed. Lord and Miller, however, had so many ideas for this film that they wanted to include, and so some had to be cut. The initial animatic rough pre-visualized cut of Spider-Verse was well over two hours long, an unusually long length for an animated film. Most of the team blamed this extended length on the writer's approach to creating the story, where they chose to add as many elements to the story as possible, see what works, and then cut the rest. Deciding what to cut to help make the film shorter was difficult for the filmmakers, as they wanted the film to be long enough to tell the entire story they had planned, but short enough so that kids watching wouldn't get bored or distracted. With this in mind, the team worked to see what elements of the story could be cut from the film. Some of these cut scenes were released to the public in the home release version of Spider-Verse that included the alternate universe cut, a cut of the film with some of the cut and deleted scenes reinstated, although none of them are complete since they were cut during different early stages of production. A major element that was cut from the original version of Spider-Verse was the relationship with Miles and his roommate, Gong who was set to have a much larger role in the original version of the film. In fact, in early versions of the film, Miles was bit by the radioactive spider while hanging out with Gonke, rather than with his uncle Aaron. After Miles was bit by the spider, Ganke would have shown Miles their universe's Spider-Man movies, played by the actor Todd Cruz, an alternate universe version of Tom Cruise. Following how Todd Cruz would train in the film, Miles and Ganke would work together to push Miles to his best state, to the point where they even attempt to develop their own inferior version of web shooters made out of fishing poles. A rift between Miles and Ganke would eventually form in the film, when Ganke would suggest to Miles that like the Spider-Man in the movies, Miles would need to find his Uncle Ben, someone close to him that could die so Miles could have the motivation to become who he needs to be. As one would expect, this suggestion greatly angers Miles. Later on in production, the team decided to cut Ganke's role to be much more minor because of how similar his character seemed to be to Ned from the recently released Spider-Man Homecoming. Other characters in the film also had additional scenes to flesh out their characters more and give them more screen time. One character who had some of his scenes cut was the villain Kingpin. In the original version of the Spider-Verse film, Kingpin was going to be more of a multi-faced character with a public image he seeks to keep up. To the public, Kingpin would appear as the philanthropist Wilson Frank, and he even was set to appear at Peter Parker's funeral. He would have come up to speak after Mary Jane, and he would have spoken about how great of a figure Peter Parker was, to the point that he proceeds to make a donation to the local police force so that they could hunt down Spider-Man's killer. This scene would have given insight into how the public sees a very different version of Kingpin than the true villain Miles knows him to be. This storyline could have also presented an opportunity to challenge the relationship between Miles and his father further, since Kingpin would be seen as a kind person, helping the police force Miles' father works for while Miles would know who Kingpin truly is. Peter B. Parker was set to also have more on-screen time, with a deleted scene that fleshed out his entrance into Miles' world more. In the original cut of the film, Peter B. Parker would have teleported from his world into a grocery store in Miles' world. And this time, the teleportation would have caused Peter B. Parker to lose his pants. As a result, he would have been chased down by the police and eventually arrested for indecent exposure. He would eventually get away from the police and proceed to run into Miles at the gravesite of Peter Parker like in the final cut of the film. The original cut of Spider-Verse was also said to contain a few characters from the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe, namely Iron Man and Doctor Strange. Both of these characters would have had extremely minor roles in the story, with Doctor Strange serving mostly as a cameo and Iron Man only being discussed. Iron Man would have been brought up during a cut conversation between Miles and his parents that would indicate other superheroes exist in Miles' universe. Doctor Strange was set to make a physical appearance in the film, but not for very long. The idea of bringing Doctor Strange into the film was based on the idea that with all of this messing of dimensions going on in the Spider-Verse story, Doctor Strange would have been likely to notice and step in to see what was going on. He would not have made his entrance until the very end of the film, and when he did, it was mostly just to be a tease or a cameo, with the very last frame of the film being Doctor Strange saying hello to the characters. Other cut characters were also set to appear throughout the film, with the directors claiming at one point that they had planned to introduce 10 more spider people throughout the film. They thought that having new spider people constantly appear throughout the film could have been a funny, ongoing joke, but they decided that this would likely drain the audience's attention and greatly distract from the focus of the story being Miles and his character arc. Some of these cut Spider characters include cameos from previous iterations of Spider-Man. At one point, the team wanted to have Tom Holland, Andrew Garfield, and Tobey Maguire each come in to voice a short cameo where their characters would run into Miles. The more this idea was fleshed out however, the more the team realized how confusing including these actors would be to the audiences. Especially since this was the first time most general audiences had been introduced to the idea of multiple Spider-People and universes coexisting. In addition to all of these cut moments, a few scenes were also removed from the film, including a scene where Peter B. Parker gives Miles a pep talk on a billboard sign. During this moment, Peter B. tells Miles he can't think about saving the whole world, and only needs to think about saving one person. This scene also gives both characters a chance to reflect on their mistakes, but this scene was cut to keep the runtime shorter, and because scenes with similar emotional impact were already planned to appear in the film, making this scene redundant when placed near those other scenes. cutscene involved the villains at Kingpin's house discovering the Spider-People were trying to get to the Collider, and a scene that involved the characters hiding Spider-Ham as a pig to be served to the guests. Speaking of Spider-Ham, many of his moments were cut since a portion of his dialogue was improvised by John Mullaney, and sometimes Mullaney would go too far with the improvisation, to the point that he was yelling swears, something the team did not want to include in a movie being marketed towards kids and families. More interesting facts on the voice recordings for the film come with the vocal recordings for Stan Lee's cameo and for Uncle Ben. The scene where Uncle Ben is shown in the flashback uses actual archival voice clips from Cliff Robertson, the actor for Uncle Ben from the Tobey Maguire franchise. Stan Lee's cameo, however, did not need to use archived voice clips since he was still alive at the time of production. However, he was already becoming weaker and coming closer to his passing. Because of this, he could not come to the studio to record his lines. So the studio brought their equipment into Stanley's house to record him there. Even though Stanley no longer had the health he once did, he was still very excited to record his lines for the cameo. As producer Avi Arad stated, he loved, he lived for those cameos. That was more important to him than anything else because he understood that his personality his legacy, will always be there. He knew how much people loved it. While the team was lucky enough to have Stanley alive for production, he unfortunately passed away before he could have a chance to see the film. While he never got to see the finished movie, he was shown the character design for his cameo during the recording session, and the crew claimed Stan loved the design and was happy to be a part of the project. Lee was especially happy the story would be following Miles Morales, since he believed that was a story filmmakers had not yet given the chance it deserves. Once all of the main aspects of production were complete, focus for production could move on to creating the music for the film. The soundtrack for Spider-Verse was a combination of a traditional film score composed by Daniel Pemberton and a soundtrack with songs created by Juice WRLD, Post Malone, Sway Lee, Nicki Minaj, Ski Mask. Lil Wayne, Ty$, Dollar Sign, and Tentacion. The songs produced by these artists were implemented into the film to give the soundtrack the flavor of the kind of music a teenager like Miles would actually listen to. For creating the film's soundtrack, Daniel Pemberton wanted to create something that, like the visuals of the film, would break conventions. So when he was interviewed for the job, he claimed that he wanted to record the traditional film score with an orchestra and then place it onto a vinyl, where the music could be manipulated to include the effects usually reserved for a DJ in other music genres, such as record scratching. Pemberton explained to the team that this idea would be very expensive and needlessly time-consuming, but it would give the film the kind of flavor it needed in its soundtrack. The team was impressed by Pemberton's vision, and so he was hired and given the green light to try his unconventional experiment of manipulating film score. In addition to this score and the soundtrack created for the film, a third soundtrack for the songs created for the album A Very Spidey Christmas That Appears in the Film was created with artists from the film performing on it. This soundtrack was then released online on December 21st as a way to promote the film. After all the music had been created, the film went through some final changes and was ready to be released to the public, with the film premiering on December 1st, 2018 in Los Angeles, California. Shortly after, on December 14th, 2018, the film was wide released to the rest of the public. The film was very successful monetarily, with the film earning $375.5 million worldwide. $190.2 million came from the United States and Canada alone, making Spider-Verse the highest grossing Sony animated film in those territories. Not only did the film make a large amount of money for Sony, but the film was also very well received by audiences and critics, with people praising its story and groundbreaking visuals. The film won Best Animated Feature at the Golden Globes and Critics' Choice Awards. The film even won Best Animated Feature at the Oscars, making Spider-Verse the first non-Disney or Pixar film to win Best Animated Film since Rango 1 in 2012. Spider-Verse is also the sixth non-Disney or Pixar film to win this award. This release was a huge success for Sony. After coming off of the Emoji movie a year prior, the studio completely changed its reputation and established itself as a player worth taking seriously once again. The success was so strong for Sony that they immediately started to plan follow ups to Spider Verse, with such ideas being planned as a sequel in 2022, a spin off television show, and a spin off film following Spider Gwen. Spider- man Into the Spider-Verse was an animated film like no other. It took Sony Pictures Animation, a studio known for how frequently its movies tend to fall into cookie cutter molds, and made Sony Pictures Animation into the studio that made one of the most revolutionary animated films of the decade. How was something this massive able to be accomplished by Sony? It all comes down to the creatives behind the film. Their goal to break conventions, and the constant support they received from their business higher-ups. As artist Patrick O'Keefe stated, It all goes back to the studio, supporting this absolute ragtag group of people, artists who are inspired by each other to do something very personal and very different. Sony's unconventional support of a film that broke tradition and rules gave the artists the chance to make what they truly wanted to see. And through this, they were able to make a transformative film that inspired not just artists, but all kinds of people around the world to break the mold and see what is possible. Thank you for watching this episode of Production Chronicles. To see more concept art and behind the scenes photos from Spider Man into the Spider Verse, make sure to follow us on social media. Links to all pages are in the description. If you enjoy our show and would like to help support the future of Production Chronicles, please leave a like and subscribe with notifications on. Also, feel free to leave a comment telling us what you would like to see in future Production Chronicles episodes. If you would like to help support our show monetarily or purchase film-inspired merchandise, check out the description of this video for active links to support Production Chronicles. To watch more episodes of Production Chronicles, select an episode on your screen now. Thank you again for watching and supporting Production Chronicles. Chronicles.